0: It is February twenty-six, two thousand and twelve. The title of today's message is "Be with or without." Y'all do great, man. Y'all need to be on camera. I just flow right with it. All right. So I gotta start off kind of cliche-ish when it comes to pastors and preaching. I was watching the show the other day. It was about Disney Home or Disney Home Makeover, right? And look, I've been at Disney World twice now. One time without uh, kids. Right before we start having kids, and about a year ago, and as you guys know, we have a plethora of kids. Uh, the experience is is quite a difference. Uh, as just you know, a single, or not single, but as a newlywed married couple, we can have, just go from one adventure to the next in Disney World. When we brought kids, it was a lot different, a little more slower paced. But I got to see it through their eyes, and that's something I couldn't do before. So in this this, this makeover. It's Disney-themed, so the whole house they are just macking up kind of like Extreme Home Makeover, but it's in Disney. And I'm noticing these little clichés, these little things that they're throwing in there that make it justified to do some of the things they do. Because you know usually Extreme Home Makeover, it's a really bad situation, somebody that needs it, and they just demolish the whole house and build something new. It's a blessing. It's an absolute blessing. Well, not so much in this case. I mean, there might have been a small meeting, But... Some of the things I heard were, like these three kids were crammed inside of each one of their three rooms. I mean, not each one, but each one had their own room, and they were crammed into these three small rooms in their house, and they not had this much area and that much area. And flags just start going off of me. It's like, wait a minute. Each kid has their own room, but you feel the need to come and just gut it and make it better than what it is like there's a deficiency there's something these kids are going without and after visiting Disney in 2000 and in 2010 I realized you don't really do without when you go to Disney unless you're without money that's a stipulation but everywhere you go there's this I mean perfection and opulence they want to make you feel comfortable and that you're there now, this doesn't make Disney the devil by no means. You could put this label or this action on churches, on businesses, on individual lives and in their homes. But the thing that just began to stand up with me is what is our definition of doing without? Now, raise your hand if you had the opportunity and blessing of this month of fasting. How was it when you did without? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How loud is that flesh? It screams, doesn't it? Now, the blessing of fasting is that, number one, you draw a line in the sand with your flesh. You say, come no further. And the first thing that flesh does is jump right over that line and tries to punch you in the mouth. So when you go without, let's just say, let's pick a portion of food, right? Your favorite food. I don't know. Pizza, donuts, those kind of things. The minute you tell your flesh that you can't have this, you need to go without, trust me, the only thing you will think of the remainder of that day or days will be pizza or donuts. In fact, you'll go a step further, the Lord will test your heart, and you'll probably show up at work or at home, and someone will bring pizza or donuts. You can eat anything else. But it will be just that one thing. And trust me, on the inside, you're, I love you, brother. I really I've got to hate you. It's kind of like having that tree or two trees in the center of the garden. And God's saying you can eat of all the trees. You're free to eat of everything in this pantry of the Garden of Eden. Except these two things. But for some reason, our minds get entangled in this idea that we're doing without We have to have it. So some of the the blessings of what you guys endured through fasting was that number one, it removed the distraction. Now, some of you may be shaking your heads on the inside like this. No, there's no way. How does fasting remove distraction if all you think about is pizza and donuts? And for you ladies, I highly suggest next time you fast, to fast from Facebook. It's about equivalent. (laughs) Well, wrestling with these things in your mind, And in your flesh is a removal of distraction because first you have to identify what the distraction is. Come on, raise your hands if you didn't realize that food had that much hold on your life on a daily basis. I know some of you like. Because if you count the, the time, the amount of time you spend thinking about where you're going to go eat, and then once you're there, what you're going to eat. And then when you get done, how you want to sleep after you eat? And when you wake up, what are you going to eat next? Look, people know me and my girls. We are foodaholics. My girls love some food. I think everybody loves food. But I'm serious. Like, my kids will forego watching a cartoon or movie or even playing outside to watch the food network if it's got the right kind of thing on it. They love
1: it. Because
0: our bodies love to scream I'm doing without in fact those of you who fasted from food was there ever a point when literally like this probably like 1059 at night and your body was saying but you're gonna hurt yourself if you don't eat you're gonna hurt your blood sugar is gonna fall too low you'll pass out and it'll be just like steel magnolias you'll die on, on, okay. the, on the footsteps and your child is right next to you you guys hopefully steam steel magnolias yeah okay but these dramatic things—it's amazing what your flesh can holler at you in, 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 into your face to make you think you're doing without. We all ready to get to the word? Yeah. Yes. Out of Food Network. Yes. All right. Turn to, to John fifteen. Everybody's in John fifteen
1: except
0: me. All right, so two people. just got to speak up. They need two things in our society today that we couldn't do without. Food
1: and water.
0: Cell phones, TV, electricity, water. light water. Water. Indoor plumbing. Amen. <laughs> now, let me ask you other question. Do other people in the world live happy and content in Jesus without those things? They are. So once again, what is it that we can't live without? It's not a trick question. I'm not trying to beat you guys up. This is coming right back at me as well. So let's redefine this. What is it that we can't live without? Food
1: and water.
0: Air. Food and water. Air. Air. Sleep. (laughs) We need sleep. So you see right there, just uh, not once again, not to beat you guys up or trick you, but a definition of what is it that we can go without, and that that was our first response. And trust me, it was mine as well. Wouldn't you say that every day you wake up, you should begin by asking the Lord, Lord, what do I need to live on today? In fact, what, the Lord's Prayer: Give us this day our daily. Prayer. Well, John over and over depicts that the bread that he's talking about is this manna. It's this bread from heaven. And Jesus said, the food I eat is to do the will of my Father. Now, if I surveyed this whole room and I said, Dustin, if I said, you know, Jorge, anybody else, do you want to do the will of God for your life? When it, your life is said and done, do you want to do the will of God? I think everybody's answer would be yes. So the next question is, do you want to do the will of God today? Because God then ask you to plan out the rest of your life and determine what his will is for you, or at least get the first couple of sentences of it and then plan it out from that point forward and up to you to accomplish. We are to wake up after our rest every single day and say, Lord, what is your will for me to accomplish today? you know how burden-free that is? Now, if you wake up that day and he says, plan out the next five years because I have things that you need to get in order to prepare for, that's fine. Get his permission to do that. But the bread that we eat, that food, that water that we need to know God's will is to wake up every morning and throw your hands up and say, Lord, I am yours. My life belongs to you. What I need to exist is to do your will.
1: Because
0: was it the the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, did that help any? No. Does it do you any good to know the full spectrum of your choices, the fullness of the good in it and the fullness of the bad? Does that help you any? No. What helps is a contentment that says, despite what circumstances tell me about the situation, I know I will do God's will, therefore He will be enough. For me, doing his will will be enough for me. I am free to eat of every tree in this garden, except for this one that says I have the right to know the full spectrum of what's good and what's evil. Adam was a smart man, he wasn't an idiot. We get plugged into uh, in our minds from, from education, or at least from cartoons for my sake, that man evolved from this Neanderthal, this idiot that just fell on a rock with a rock in his hand and that made fire on the hay.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, that may be the course for some, but
1: <laughs>
0: man originated as an intelligent being. Can you go outside right now, look up in the heavens at the constellations and know exactly where your spot is, your GPS location is on earth? Good Lord, you have signs that are as big as this room to tell you where you're at. Some people can't figure it out. Yeah. That's what Adam was able to do. He had, God brought all the animals in front of him, and he named them according to their function. We're, we're lucky if we, if we can remember all the colors that exist, the major primary colors. I can't remember those. It was RGB, I guess. All right, so everybody still in John 15? Let's start in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will become even more fruitful. You You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You know, it's a total, I think, of 11 times, 11 or 14, that he says, remain in me. So when you wake up tomorrow morning and you say, Lord, I want to do your will. This is the bread I'm going to eat up today. What's being asked of you is to remain in him. Now, what does that look like? I'll know when you go out to your car and there's a flat tire and your spouse didn't put any gas in it and it's on dead empty and you're running late for work. What will you do to remain in him? Will there's joy be inside of you? Will you ask the Lord, this is frustrating me, I want to choke somebody, but Lord, I need your help. How good is a branch if it's not connected to the main vine?
1: It's
0: dead. But wouldn't you say that that branch deserves the right for its individuality and freedom? That's an American right. That's what we need. That's what we deserve. This branch has been around for 40 years. It's been faithful. But now it just needs to go off on its own. It will go straight into the fire. When you wake up tomorrow morning, realize that you have to be remaining and attached and fully embedded into Jesus. 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 Let's continue reading. I am the vine, you are the branches. Just to make that clear, there's no misunderstanding. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Guys, this is something that we will wrestle with the, the remainder of our life. You realize every breath, you're breathing in and exhaling is a gift from God. It's because of His design and what He has done here on earth, but also keeping you alive on a second by second basis is a gift. So how much more that His desire is to make sure that we don't do without. But there comes the struggle. It's usually in what we define without, with what he defines without. The definition is sitting right here in verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's the Sunday school answer, guys. What what is it that you need to sustain life that you can't do without? It's Jesus. It's everything that Jesus is. Exodus, Leviticus, numbers, Deuteronomy, all these things lay out the stipulations of proper worship to God. Most of them lay out you were to be without, without yeast, without defect. So every Passover they would bring a lamb that was a year-old, and if it had a blemish on it, if it had a gimp leg, or if it was miscolored some way in its coat, it was unacceptable. You ever feel like sometimes when you walk in here and you begin to worship, that no matter what you do, you're pressing through a bronze ceiling and your your ability to worship is defected? Well, I feel the same way and I lead worship. But what I begin to wash myself in is He is more than enough for me. That if I submit myself to Him and say, Jesus, I can't do this without you. That's when I find his power. That's when I find his strength. But it's not just leading worship. It's not just being a pastor. It's not just doing children's church. And you do need Jesus when you do children's church. (laughs) But realize it's outside of this building. What does it say back here? Perform, Perform out there what you practice in here. So when we worship it's a, it's a gathering up together so that we can encourage one another of how to remain in Him. Do you need a worship service in order to break through your troubles? No, you don't. Do you need a CD or that one CD to break through your heartache and pain? No. All you need is Him. That's why later on, Paul writes and said, The Spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father, Abba. You ever have those times when the world is sitting on your shoulders and you're oppressed, and the only thing that can come out of your mouth is Jesus? Amen. That's the kind of months I've had in the year past. And the circumstances are still the same, but the weight and the oppression that the devil can step on you with sometimes, can hurt. And the only thing that works is his name crying out for him. Amen. There you'll find the food. There you'll find God's will on what to do. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Amen. 22 verse 35 (coughs) then Jesus asked them when I sent you without purse bag or sandals did you lack anything nothing they answered he said to them but now if you have a purse, take it, also, and also a bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillments. Then the disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. So is it our strength that we really need to accomplish God's will? I started this verse at the very top when he sent them out earlier. He sent them out two by two. And ladies, you can appreciate this. Jesus sent out the disciples without a purse. Adam, of you could accomplish God's will in your life being sent out without your purse. Well, as long as you have a pocket, exactly. Without a bag. Without sandals. And he asked them, did you lack anything? But then he sends them out again. He says, if you have these things, it's okay. That first trip, why do you think he sent them out doing without? Exactly. To teach them that he was all they needed. His name, the power and authority that he placed on them. So once you look at your own life, put on the mirror and, and look at it. The times that Jesus is asking you to do without, is it to punish you? No. Is it to to teach you a lesson and make sure you don't do something else again? No, not per se. If Jesus is asking you to do without, it's because he is longing for you to depend on him as your sole source. And you may have a competing element, I don't know, called an idol that's wrestling with his position in your life. You may be drinking from another well that's not him. Let's go to Deuteronomy 8. I just need to see you guys. I Verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Why? Why did God lead them to this dry desert? barren and desolate place to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. We have that bumper sticker? Sure, God knows your heart, but do you know His? When you're being brought into this dry and barren, desolate place, what God's maybe looking for is, do you depend on Him as your sole source? Do you really know His heart and what he is after. And the way that he finds out what's inside of your hearts is how do you respond to the hard? How do you respond to the difficult times? Is it your own arm and strength? Or is it a crying out for his? He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your forefathers had known. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That sounds familiar. Wow. Where else have we seen that? I don't know. Maybe when Jesus was in the desert, being tempted by the devil, the same thing that happened to Adam and Eve, the devil was also trying to do to the king of kings. And he tempted him with the idea of, and this compulsion that Jesus was doing without. You guys fasted from food. One day, maybe two. If you're adventurous, maybe go to five. By the time you get to day 40, your stomach is about to start eating you. That's that's no joke. Your body starts to eat itself. Three days is all you can go without water. Forty is food. Jesus was pushed to the limit of doing without his body. Having given up the glory that he had with his father beforehand, being seen or being made in the likeness of man, and with the same weaknesses that man had. Not sin, but with the same weaknesses. And the first thing that he's combated with is this opportunity to use his own strength. Did the devil make the stones turn into bread? No. No. The devil just pointed out an obvious logical fact. Jesus, you have power. You can turn these stones into bread and feed yourself. This is logical. You must do this. You are hungry. Doesn't that seem logical? Jesus quoted the word right back at him. It says, man does not live on bread alone. On every word that comes from the mouth of God. If that's what he required, the perfect the sinless Jesus required. How much more do we? Guys, this word helps you understand what God's will is for your life. Anything that ventures outside of it, you're going to find yourself giving in to that temptation. You're going to find yourself missing the will of God. And I, nor Eric, or anybody else in here, want you to miss the will of God. Because you know what happens? You know what happens if I miss the will of God? Is it just me that's impacted? It's you. It's everybody else that has ever known me. That's known the name of Jesus through me. Let your feet be firm and standing in the name and the word of Jesus. Measure everything with the word. Let's continue to read. Verse 4. Your clothes did not wear out. Ladies, you can appreciate that one. And your feet did not swell during these forty years. <laughs> All you pregnant mamas, that's what, what's the word right there. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Oh my word, that's another one. That sounds so familiar. Where is that? Hebrews twelve. Wow, amazing. Now, oh, what do they call Deuteronomy the honeypot? Verse 6, observe the commands of the Lord your God walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Everybody say good land. Good, good, good land. land. Where is God bringing you?
1: Good, good. land.
0: But guess where you got to go through to get there? Desert. The desert. Not the desert. The desert. You can't have a desert first. got to wait till you get to the good land. So next time that you see one of your brothers or sisters struggling with the desert that they're in, don't beat them over the head and tell them that they're less than. Grab them by the hand and tell them you are going to a good land. God is bringing you to a good (coughs) land. But first, you may have to go through some humbling. First, you may have to be tested to see what is really inside of your heart. Do we know what's inside of our heart? A lot of times we don't. Until we're pressed, until we're shaken up a little bit. Look, you can say that you can believe and imagine yourself playing a guitar all day long. In fact, you scored, you know, whatever the highest is in in uh, rock band. That that, by the way, just drives me absolutely crazy. People think they're just wonderful guitarists because they ace guitar band. That's four colored buttons. <laughs> And they can get up here and have all the confidence in the world. And their heart just really believes that they can do this. But when are they put to the test? When they actually put it in their hand and they begin to play. That's how you know. Well, no different than the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. How, do, how does God know that his word is residing in your heart and not just in your brain? Or not just on the dash of your car? Or hanging from your necklace? How does God know? Is that whenever in the rubber meets the road you're asked to do what you are called to do in that moment, will you stand the test? You know what came out of Israel's mouth when they were in the desert? Whenever they were uh, uh, hindered from getting water? At Marah, Why did you bring us in this desert to die? Why did you move me to Sugar Land to lose everything? It's in that moment you have to be resolute. And you stand on God's promises to, despite what your circumstances say. God is bringing you into a good land. But are you willing to give everything to get there? Everything. Verse 7 For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. And that's just the vegetable section. <laughs> a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. 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 What, was, what was the disciples' response to Jesus? He said, did you lack anything? Nothing. Did you ever go without you know, my dad is the seventh seventh son out of nine. He was born in 1939, so there's already six kids ahead of him through the Great Depression. He grew up in a family of sharecroppers in North Louisiana. You can tell by the, the skin tone that I have, I inherited from him. They probably weren't well, well received as elite businessmen during that time. All they did is work cotton fields and soybean fields. He grew up in a house, uh, probably a little bigger than the ones that we see in Mexico, but the older style, off the ground, Acadian style. All of his family spoke French. And they were uh, disciplined and physically beaten in public if they spoke French. And he slept in a room with all of his brothers, all eight eight of his brothers, that was one room, and I think four beds. So, I'm not sure if they had a closet or not, but knowing boys, it was probably underneath which one of those beds. But my dad tells me all the time, he said, we didn't know any better. We didn't know we were doing without until we got older, out of our house, and around other people in their environments. He said we were happy. He said there were eight boys. The youngest was a girl, and we had one bike.
1: <laughs>
0: All the brothers knew how to fight very well. There was a situation that put them in there. That was a bike.
1: Well, my dad,
0: his nickname was Hooter. It has nothing to do with the place you go eat. <laughs> but it's because when they would begin to scrap about anything. He was one of the smaller ones. He was kind of the run. They would tie him to a tree and he would boo hoo and cry, and he would sound like a <coughs> hoo <laughs> And they would get the biggest kick out of watching him laugh. <laughs> Me and watching him cry.
1: <laughs>
0: My dad's suffering of doing without set the pace and course for the rest of his life to understand what we truly need. And what he loved to do, and still to this day, is he loves to have people over to his home and just really fellowship and cook for them and just engage, just hang out. You can stop by at 2 in the morning and wake him up. It won't bother him one bit because he knows what it's like to go without, to be without family, to be without a mom. She died when he was 9 years old. But let's go a step further. Jesus. He is familiar with every one of your sufferings. Otherwise, he couldn't be your true high priest. A high priest was a representative of the, the group. He was somebody that could be familiar with the, the issues or problems of the nation. And he stood as a mediator between God and man. Jesus came and fulfilled that for you. But he didn't sit down and read in a book about your problems. He didn't study up on psychological issues and things that torment your mind. He stood in them. Even went lower than probably any of us has ever been. In fact, I could know so. Because he went down to the grave. Went down the shield. And he came back up again. Saints, what you need and the reason why you're sitting here is because we need each other. But the fuel that we're operating on is his resurrection power. You need his resurrection power. Romans says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The good news, the good land that God is bringing you into is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation. Look, at one point in your life, you needed rescuing. If you haven't, just wait. You'll be there soon. God will make sure of it. He'll put you in that dry and desolate place. He'll make you hunger. He'll make you humble. He'll move every bit of strength that you have so that you cry out for Him as your only bread of life. Amen? Amen. Verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large, your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. Next time you're in front of a hard rock, a rock in a hard place, you stand and you wait. God will bust open that rock and bring you the water that you need for that moment. Amen. But you have to do it His way. You have to. Run to the Word. I want to encourage you. If you don't know what to do in that moment, like, Matt, you're telling me great things. There's these generalities of, you know, uh, analogies in life when you're in that rock and hard place. No, no, no. When you get the phone call, that a loved one is is about to die unexpectedly. When you drive up and, you know, chaos is breaking out in your house and you don't know why. When you get that one letter in the mail that says, you know, they're about to foreclose on your house or turn your electricity off. That's what I'm talking about. You submit your mind, your body to the Lord, and you cry out, Abba, Father, I need your water. But more importantly, on a daily basis, when you lie down and when you get up and you don't have that shalom, that peace, that ability to close your eyes and know that everything is going to be okay, you stand. You stand in God's presence. You stand on his word, and you wait until that water comes forth. It's so easy to look back and say, well, those poor Israelites are bad Israelites, more or less. Why did not they just trust the Lord? Why didn't they just wait? Didn't they know that God's promises would be fulfilled? Of course we know because we read the next chapter. That made it easy. But are you able to read the next chapter in your life? No. What do you want it to say? Do you want it to be someone who scrapped and fought because of their fear of doing without? Or somebody that stood... And waited for God to deliver his promises to them, to bring them into the good land. Let's go to Deuteronomy 11. Let's go down to verse 22. If you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the Euphrates River to the Western Sea. No man will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he has promised you, will put terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessings, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today, by following other. God's which you have not known. Every time we open up God's word, what it means to get that daily bread and say, Lord, what is your will for me to do today? That's seeking out His commands. You know, the life that we live now is not just to have a bigger house. It's not just to have a full bank account or a nice car. If that were the case, there would be an easy way to righteousness, an easy way to be in that comfort of God's will. So was the really the whole point just about Israel coming out of slavery and having more possessions? No. Because the minute that they had it in the desert, they had all this gold that the Egyptians had given them on the way out. The minute they had it, Moses stepped away for 40 days. What did they do with it? They built an idol. They assembled all their gold, and they worshiped a foreign idol. What do you do with the blessings that God gives you? Are you building idols? Are you justifying your without with the blessings that God has put in your hands? Saints, I want you to daily evaluate where your heart's at. (coughs) Redefine what is without then you'll be able to properly assess what you really need to live with. It's easy. It's easy to say, Jesus, I'll give up my life for you. I'll lay it down, Lord. What? My truck? Oh, wait, um, well, I'm not sure. My house, my family, my own life. Oh, you mean, like, uh, I'm, I'm living and no longer will live? I'm not sure about that. Let's go to 1 John. chapter 1. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How do you have good fellowship with one another? How do you struggle and deal with not feeling alone on a daily basis? You can be surrounded by, by people and still feel that way. Yes. Those of you who've been with, uh, through marriage counseling, that shalom is right order with God and right order with men. If there's a scripture to back it up and justify it, we just mm-hmm. write it. You want to wonder why you struggle with this feeling of doing without? It's because you're not getting right with the Lord in a certain area of your heart and not walking in His light. Therefore, whenever you come in contact with other people around you, you're frustrated, you're jealous, you're upset, easily upset maybe. But if we walk in his life or his life as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Isn't it awesome whenever we're able to worship and all sing with one voice? And really you not just feel God's presence, And sometimes it is thick you could cut it with a knife. But you feel every person in the room being ministered to, the weaknesses that are there are now rising up and being strengthened. That the words, the prophecies that were given, especially this morning, were directed at a central issue that somebody in this room is wrestling with, the word that they need to hear. This Bible right here is Cassidy's Bible. In it are written several prophecies, various times in her life. And so what somebody thought, that may or may not be that word from God. It was, she wrote it down, and God fulfilled the promises (coughs) to her years and years ago. Mostly what this consists of is about having children. We wrestled for three years, miscarried time and time after again, even seeing the heartbeat on the sonogram one week and not seeing another, and having to wait for the baby to pass. But the promises that God spoke to Cass through worship, through prophecy, just like what you guys shared today, she decided and purposed in her heart to walk in the light as Jesus is in, is in the light. And she had fellowship with one another during worship, and it was in that worship God reiterated, he validated the promises that he gave her of being a mother. And all those hurts, all those pains of watching the baby pass, several babies pass, God fulfilled, and he did it four times over. Like a weed eater that you couldn't get to stop. <laughs> <laughs> that wound just cranking it out. <laughs> that those four girls that run around supersede all the pain and hurt that we had. You know, within eight months of being married, there we were in the doctor's office, excited to be new parents, but wondering why the technician had such a grim look on their face. They were worried. They knew what the possibility was. We didn't. The next week when we came back and we saw no heartbeat at all, we had, I mean, come on, one week, that's seven days to build up your hope and all this excitement. And it came crashing down. And there my wife was crying on a table. And me as a first-time husband trying to figure out how to comfort her. What do I comfort her with? I had to go to Jesus. I had to get comfort from him so I could bring it to her. I had to help her walk in the light as he is in the light. I had to get her off of the couch and say, no, baby, you're going to go to church today. That's where the life is because the body is there. We need them, and they need us. Amen. You're not going to sit down and dwell in your depression and pity. You can't. There's no life in that. That's darkness. Get up and walk in this light. And when she did, this Bible filled up with the reiteration of God's promises to her. She realized that as a mom, and I realized as a dad, that we were not going to do without. And God brought us into a good land a land with Nickelodeon and diapers (laughs) (laughs) flowing with milk and money. But the devil will try and beat you upside the head, put every obstacle in front of your way, make you feel like God's promises for your life are impossible, or you just need to do it a little bit different way. God's plan is not working out, so this must not be God. It must be God to go this direction. I'm telling you, saints, stand firm. And if you don't know what God's will is, where do you think we can find it? Let's go to the word. Go to Romans 12. Usually the word, yeah. Usually the word therefore is the antecedent that is playing off of a previously... Uh, declared element or statement, right? So I put my foot in the fire, therefore I was burned. That has happened before. Not by my own choice. So if we read 12 verse 1, we say therefore, well wouldn't it help a little bit to understand what therefore is coming from? Let's go to verse 28 of chapter 11. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on the account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you, who were one time disobedient to God, have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience being Israel. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may not receive God's mercy as a result of God's mercy on you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy, undeserved favor on them all. Therefore, I urge you, brother, brothers, in view of God's mercy, another way to say this, in view of your disobedience, And God's mercy upon you despite your disobedience. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Do living sacrifices stay still? No, no, they don't react to fire like you think they would. They squirm, they squeal, they hate it. It's kind of like fasting for one day. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Is it hitting the one note and how, how great is our God? No. Is it having all the gifts manifest at one time? That's an awesome benefit. But that's not necessarily just the goal. It's a goal. You know what makes Jesus thrilled to death, literally? whenever every bit of who you are is in full submission to him and you say, Jesus, I am yours. You are Lord of me. Everything I am. It's not just when you stand here and worship or sit here when you hear us preach. It's when you go out there, when you're driving down the road, when you go home. Every breath that you take, you say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the golden calf—that was a pattern of their work. That's what was familiar to them, what their fathers had done, and they inherited this sinful desire and behavior. But we're called to be transformed. What isn't it nice whenever you you watch some of these TV shows and? Somebody goes through this transformation of either a home or maybe their their physical makeup. And they look like a totally different person, but not able to be mobile and function, not have so many health issues. Or their house is renovated and, you know, infested with all kinds of things. But now it's inhabitable, but more than that, it's a pleasure to be in. That's what Jesus is doing with you. He's putting you through extreme makeover. But first it begins with submitting all that you have to the Lord and be willing to do without what you think is without and be content with what God gives you along. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Wouldn't you say that that's exactly where we want to be? We want to be in the center of God's will. We want to accomplish it. So who's going to wake up tomorrow morning, lift their hands up in the air, and say, Jesus, what will you have for me to do? I will. That's where it begins. You want to know what the the secret is to not falling away from Jesus? Getting up every morning, raising your hands up, and say, Lord, what will you have me do today? And actually listening and waiting for his voice. Guys, you can't do this on your own. You can't. You're not strong enough. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to be your everything. Not an idol among many idols. He needs to be the only thing in your life that you worship. Look, we can go to a basketball game. We can go to a lot of different events. Jump up and down and scream and be so excited about it. But if your love for Jesus doesn't put that to shame, something's wrong. Something is wrong. We throw stones at Hindus and Buddhists all around the world. But you know what? They're wholehearted. At least I give them that. They're wholehearted. I want to be the type of follower of Jesus that is even more devoted than they are. I want every ounce of my life squeezed out and pour it on the altar of God if that's what he's asking me for, even if it means my own life. If you don't begin there, you're going to wrestle with God the rest of your life, I'm trying to give it back up. I want to stand on our feet. Right, so remind me again, next time you see a brother or sister that may be downcast, you're going to put your arm around them and tell them God's bringing you into a good, good land. Good land. Very good. Let's say it one more time because I heard about this side of, this much side of the room. God is bringing you into good land. Okay, amen, amen. Join the hands of the people around.